This morning we will be looking at Genesis chapter 15. We're going to be looking just at the first six verses of Genesis chapter 15. This great book of beginnings, this first book of the Bible. As we look at perhaps one of the more famous passages in all of the Scripture, I would ask that you give extra attention to its reading. That it not be familiar to you. That you hear what God is saying to you in it this morning. Genesis chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. This is the very Word of God. It is completely it is completely sufficient, and it is completely authoritative. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon us. Heavenly Father, we, we ask that you would use these words that were written down and spoken so many years ago, that you would use them right now today in our lives to teach us to trust you, O Lord, to teach us to love you, to teach us, O Lord, to worship you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, as I began this series in the book of Genesis, Genesis is a very fearful book for the preacher. Because every week there is another gigantic passage. Creation. The fall. The promise. The flood. Abram being called out of Ur into the promised land. God's covenant. The great promises of God laid before us. But even in the midst of that, this chapter, this passage, really gives the preacher pause. Because this is perhaps one of the most significant chapters in all of the Bible. It is a crucial chapter, not only in Genesis, but in all of the history of salvation. This is the hinge on which we understand salvation. This passage is quoted no less than three times in the New Testament as proof of our doctrine of salvation. 
Paul refers to it in Romans 4 and in Galatians 3. And James refers to it in James 2. And we need to look at this passage. But more than look at it, we need to enter into it. This is not something that we observe in the life of Abram. This passage recounts for us how we are to live our lives. It is an answer to the difficulty of life and what we are called to do by the Lord God Himself. The first thing that we will see in this chapter is that the Lord provides protection and provision for His people. Protection and provision. And then we will see the patience that is needed and the promises that God gives. And then we will finally see the call of this passage. The call to believe and be saved. Protection and provision, patience and promises, believing and being saved. This is the story not just of Abram, but of everyone who would be right with God. Well, our passage begins here in chapter 15 with what we might think is a a throwaway transition. It's the kind of phrase that you don't... When someone says, are you memorizing Scripture, you don't say, yes, let me tell you what I've memorized after these things. No, you, you have something much more profound. But this is actually a very profound transition because... I've had you do this before. Let me have you do it again. You need to take your thumb and you need to place it over the big 15. Because there is no hard break between chapter 14 and chapter 15. Remember, those are inserted afterwards. After the things that we just saw, after Lot had been captured, after Abram had gone out and trusted the Lord and won the battle, after he had defeated these powerful kings, right after that, the word of the Lord came to him. Isn't God good? He does not let Abram pause. And there's a reason for that. But you see, there is a context that we need to understand. Too often we look at our Bibles as some kind of encyclopedia. Or some kind of place where we go to find good quotations. Or a systematic textbook. When in reality the Bible is the true story of redemption in Jesus Christ. It is not just bare propositions. Bare statements. There's a reason why the Bible is not written like a logic theorem. We have to understand how God has revealed Himself to us. Abram had just defeated these kings and taken their treasure. What was he thinking? What would you be thinking? I wonder if they're going to come back. I wonder if they're really mad. And I did attack them and defeat them by God's grace, but we did it at night. And I wonder if they're going to come back with an army three times the size of this. And I don't think that the kings of Sodom or Gomorrah or any of these other places can be trusted. Because remember what we saw at the end of chapter 14. The king of Sodom, the guy who the main thing that he did in chapter 14 was get defeated, came along like he was the rooster. So he can't trust them. So Abram might be afraid here. Abram is a real person. Remember, Bible people are just like you and me. 
They have fears. They have hopes. They have dreams. And they trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Abram now, I think, could be, could be hesitating, fearful. It's kind of like this. Have you ever thought about driving right after your first accident? Right after, I don't mean one of these things where you bump somebody's bumper and you look and you see this little quarter indentation in the front bumper. I mean maybe the kind of accident where the car spun or where the back end got caved in or where you can't believe you walked away from it and you're shaking like this, right? And then you go to get back in the car and it's something you've done day upon day, month upon month, year upon year, but it's what? It's scary. Because you're thinking about what just happened. That's what life is like here for Abram. Don't see him as someone who has huge faith and then no faith. And then huge faith and then no faith. He's an ordinary person. He has faith in God, but it's been shaken a little bit by a whirlwind of events. He's finally calmed down. He's looked around and he said, wow. And he's tempted to be a bit afraid. You know, as we look back on things that have been trials... We're tempted to fear. But also as we look forward at the future, we're also tempted to fear. Abram can trust God, but he doesn't know exactly what the future holds. Are you a little bit afraid for the future today? I don't know what it's going to bring. High inflation, low inflation, high unemployment, low unemployment, war, peace, I don't know. And that can be a fearful place to be. It's the fear of the unknown, what might happen. It's the way they used to make old movies, old scary movies in particular. You know, before they made old scary movies with all of the special effects and the blood and the gore, the scariest thing in the old movies was what was happening off camera. You didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know what the monster looked like. You didn't know who the killer was. It was frightening. And life can be like that sometimes as well. So Abram is afraid, and before he can even enunciate that, before he can even tell God that he's afraid, God comes to him and says, Fear not. Two of the most blessed words in all of the Bible. When God comes to him and says, Fear not. Now notice here, who starts this? It's God. Abram doesn't go running to him and say, I need you, I'm afraid, where are you, where are you? If only you would be there, I'll do all sorts of things for you. No, God already knows what's in Abram's heart. He already knows what Abram needs, and he initiates and goes to him and meets his need. You ever seen that experience with mothers? It's scary sometimes. A mom will get up in the middle of the night before the baby cries because she just senses the baby needs something. This is what the Lord does for us. He initiates with us and He gives Abram a command. It's not a suggestion. He tells him, fear not. And it's a command of assurance. It's a command that Abram should not fear no matter what is around him because God is with him. He says, Abram, I am your shield. Now, notice how God puts this. He doesn't say, I will protect you. 
He doesn't say, I will surround you with good things. He says, I am your shield. In the vernacular, Abram is being told by God, if anyone wants to get at you, they've got to come through me. I'm your armor. We need to remember that. You see, when we read in Ephesians about the armor of God, we think it's things we need to put on and we need to train with. And it's all about us, when in reality, it is what God gives to us. It is how God protects us. We cannot make salvation. We cannot make the sword of the the Word. We cannot make the Spirit. We cannot make these things. God gives them to us. He is our armor. And therefore, we can be bold in our life. Because God is with us. He protects us. But God doesn't stop at the bare minimum. He doesn't just simply keep us safe. He also provides. And so what He tells Abram is, I am your shield and your reward will be very great. Now this is a reassurance to Abram. Because Right along with Abram being a bit afraid, he could be tempted to wonder, did I really do the right thing? Maybe I should have kept some of the stuff. Maybe that's how God was going to bless me. He could be having second thoughts. We call it buyer's remorse, right? But God says to him, you don't need to worry. You have done the right thing in trusting me. Your reward will be very great. Just as I have promised to you, I will fulfill it. Now, we need to not look at this from the lens of I did and God gives. This is not a passage that says Abram made the right decision and did the right thing and therefore God will reward him. God is rewarding him because back before the battle, Back before they were even in the promised land, God had promised to Abram that he would bless him. Way back in chapter 12. And God is just simply reiterating for Abram that I will reward you. You don't need to worry about circumstances or the world because my promise is true. He will fulfill it. But there's an interesting thing too about this verse. Some of your translations have, as mine do, your reward shall be very great. Some of your translations have your exceedingly great reward. And it's ambiguous on purpose. Abram will have a great reward, but what will be the main part of his great reward? The Lord, God Himself. He says, not only am I your shield, I am your reward. Trust in me. He doesn't just get stuff. He has God. That's how we need to live our lives. Our lives are not a success based on the way the world counts success. Based on how much stuff we can accomplish, but accrue or get. Our lives are a success based on our relationship With the Lord. So you need to ask yourself this morning, for you, is God sovereign? Do you trust Him to be able to protect you? Do you trust Him to be able to provide for you and reward you? The God that you serve is the same God of Abram. 
He is just as powerful. He is just as true. His promises are just as clear. He is the one who is in control and sovereign. And your protection and your provision do not depend on your intelligence or the number of verses you have memorized or the number of hours that you have spent on your knees or the number of children that you have raised or the number of dollars that you have given for missions. All of those things are good. But your relationship with God does not depend on that. He is your protector and your provider because of who He is and what He has promised. And we need to remember and focus on that promise. Do you see here, Abram gets a vision from God. God comes down and speaks to him. Now, how many of us would like to see God come down or be in place with Him? I know I would. But you see, the focus here isn't at all on the miraculous. It isn't at all on the fantastical. The focus, all of this, is on the Word of God, which you have and I have in our hands. It's the same Word that Abram had. So God tells Abram that He will protect him and He will provide for him. And Abram says, That's great, Lord. Never doubted you for a minute. This is wonderful, right? No, I, I keep breaking out that wrong translation. No, Abram does what we, we don't expect him to do. This is Father Abraham. This is the one who just defeated the four kings. He's the master of his fate. He is the man in covenant with God. And how can he possibly answer, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? Oh. That sounds more like me than Father Abraham. But you see, again, we are reminded that the Bible is true and the Bible is real. And it's the second thing that we see here in this passage. We see patience and promises. And we understand the truth that faith is hard. Don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. If someone tells you, The life of faith is easy and you should have it all together and we don't understand why you don't just skip through life. I can tell you one thing. That is a person of weak faith. They don't understand the challenges of the world. They don't understand the demands of the gospel. They don't understand the perfection of a holy, powerful God. Life is hard. Faith is hard. And we get a very real response from Abram. He's wrestling with God. He has a very clear concern here. He repeats himself in verse 2 and then again in verse 3. He says, behold, you've given me no offspring. He says, God, I I have faith. I want to believe. You said you'd give me offspring, but not yet. This is hard. It'd be easier to understand. It would be easier to see. It would be easier to have faith if I had a toddler going around here. Then I could see it, touch it. The promise is there, Lord, but it's hard. And you see, this is the struggle of faith. Because as we believe, it brings challenges. Abraham believed God, and that actually made waiting harder. Has anybody ever promised you they'd do something for you, and it's the sort of person that you know... There's no way this is ever going to happen. 
All a day long they're promising, right? Oh, 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 I, I, I'll take you out to lunch. Oh, 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 I'll buy you a car. I, I'm going to buy you a car as soon as I can find one. And you say to yourself, yeah, right. You don't really lose sleep waiting for that, do you? Because you don't expect it to happen. But when someone you trust says, we're going to go to the park every five minutes. We're going to the park? How come we're not at the park? Where's the park? Come on. You said we go to the park. You, know, you told us you were going to take us to the park. Come on, let's go to the park. Right? Over and over and over again. Because you expect it to happen. You see, that's the part about faith that is hard to understand and hard to live with. If we believe God, we actually believe these things will happen and we want them now. We can't wait. We want to see God fulfill it. We want to see God bring the promises. We know He's going to do it. Come on, God, bring it now. That's hard. (laughs) Because we want it. Abraham believed God, and that made the waiting hard. But more than that, Abraham believed everything that God had said. Abraham didn't just believe that God would give him a baby. Abraham believed that all of the nations and all of the earth would be blessed through his seed. He believed the big promise of God, not just the tiny promise of God. And so he's struggling with this. The circumstances around him Make it hard. What do I do? That's what Abram might ask himself. How do I deal with these circumstances? How do I trust God? How do I go forward? This is something that you and I face every day. I don't even need to be with you every minute of the day to know your life is not perfect. That you have things that you need and you don't have. That you have relationships that are hard and need fixing. That you have aches and pains and sicknesses. But you see, the call is to trust in the Lord. That in spite of all that is around us that is bad, that God is working things out for His good. For our good. That's what real faith and trust in the Lord is. And you see, we have to remember that it is okay to wrestle with God like Abram did. Some of you are looking at this and picturing maybe your own household. Well, I wouldn't take that from my kids. If I told them I was going to do it, they they shouldn't be asking me. They should just be patient. Abram should be patient. And if I'm not patient, then I'm a bad Christian and maybe God won't like me. Oh, i got to be patient. No. You see, the Bible is also full of this kind of wrestling with God. The Psalms are full of it. Abram wants to know. He wants to, to find out from God. Now, notice what he is not. He is not defiant. God, give it to me now. He's not rebellious. God, I hate you because you haven't given me what I want. He's not defiant. He's not rebellious. He is actually very respectful. Look at the text here in verse 2. He says, O Lord God. Very respectful. Very formal. And actually, there's something else going on here. The word here for Lord is the word for Master. Abram is saying to himself and to God, I know I am your servant. I'm coming to you with humble petition. Lord." Help me. 
He's asking God to help him to grow in understanding of the promise. Helping, asking God to help him to grow in obedience to His Word. You see, Abram is asking God not because he wants to be far from God, but because he wants to be closer. He wants to understand more who God is and what He's doing. This is something that we need to learn. We need to lay these sorts of things before God and not mutter and murmur in the corner. You see, that's what we do. We think that we can't do this out loud. We can't do this publicly. We've got to put on this brave face of perfect patience with God. And then we go in the corner and we mutter and we moan and we murmur. That's disrespectful to God. That's not trusting Him. You come to Him as His child. And what happens is the, the miraculous thing that happens here is that God strengthens us by His promises. See what God does to Abram? He clarifies His promise, He expands His promise, and He repeats His promise. The first thing He does is He clarifies it. You see, Abram is asking a question here. You said all the earth would be blessed through me, but I don't have any children. I've got this Eleazar. He's my heir. Is this who you're going to use? And God says, no. What I said and what I meant was that it would come through you. You will have a child, Abram. He clarifies it for Abram. He's helping him. He says, it's not what you think. I'm going to do something that you can't even believe, Abram. And he, God answers him in such a, an interesting way. He wants the idea of this servant being Abram's heir to be so far away from Abram that he refuses, God refuses to even name him. He says, no, that guy over there, no. The Hebrew is very interesting. It's this one, that guy. No, he won't be your heir. It will be one from you. He clarifies it. And then God expands the promise. He gives yet another illustration for Abram. You remember back, God had told Abram that he would have descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And that he would bless all nations through him. And now he tells Abram, look up. Stop looking down at the ground. Stop focusing on your feet. Stop focusing on yourself. Look up and look at the stars. Can you number them? Now, grammatically, this is the kind of question that we have, we say expects a negative answer. Experientially, we look at this and go, oh, no way in the world can he number these stars. We can't do it now. With telescopes, it can see everywhere. The stars are too numerous. And God says to him, if you could number the stars, then you could number or you could mark out the boundaries of my promise. My promise go far, goes farther than you could ever think or know. He clarifies the promise and he expands the promise. And then the last thing he does is he repeats the promise. He says, Abram, your offspring will be innumerable. Just like I told you, I'm telling you again. 
we need this, don't we? Moms understand this principle very well. How many times do you have to say something to kids? Once? (laughs) Twice? Ten times? No. Part of the job, this is where moms and pastors are alike. I've told you my job is simply to repeat for you things you already know. That's a mom's job. But you see, we need this. We need this reminder to keep us back on track. And that's what God gives to Abram. What grace is here? The promise is laid before Abram. How will Abram respond to this promise? How will he respond to the protection of God? How will he respond to what God has put before him? He looked up. And in verse 6, we see the answer. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the foundational verse of Paul's theology. Righteousness by faith, not by works. This is what makes biblical Christianity different from every other philosophy or faith on the face of the earth. There are only two kinds of religions. There is biblical Christianity and every other kind of works religion. It could be called Hinduism or Islam or philosophy or education. But all of them have one major difference. They say do and you will be blessed. And God says, believe that I have done and the blessing is yours. And so we see here that all we need to do is believe. Think about the context of Abram believing here. God made the promise. God designed the promise. God had given the parameters to the promise. The promise was not yet even fulfilled. And Abram's response is faith. Now, I need to take just a minute here and kind of define this for you because faith is one of these words that has suffered great abuse. Somehow I think the journalists and the grammarians and the educators have acted like um, not that, but rather much more like hoodlums in an alley. They've taken faith down the dark alley and mugged it and given it a whole different meaning. And so now we talk about people of faith. What does that mean? Well, you know, it's faith. And we have to use hand motions and be vague. And, you know, it's like being spiritual. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's like good. What does that mean? Well, no. Faith is very precise. Faith is trusting and a standing on the promises. The word here that is used for believe is actually some, a word that you all know. Amen? That's what it is. It's amen. That's where we get amen from. It is a firm standing on the promises. It is a depending on the Lord. Knowing that everything that we have and all that we are is dependent upon Him. All of the promises come from God. That is what faith is. It is trust in the One who is the promisor. And that's what Abram is doing here. 
That's why He is called the Father of all the faithful. Because as we trust the Lord, as we depend on the Lord, as we stand firm on His promises, we are Abram's children. And what happens here is, His faith is counted as righteousness. Now, this is the first time explicitly in the Bible that faith and righteousness are linked. Now, we need to understand what this means. It is not some kind of compromise by God. You know, I really would rather have this, that, and the other thing. But I know Abram's not really capable of it. So, instead, I'll just take faith. That's not what it is. It's not also that Abram believes and God says, you're so great because you believed, because you believe you're so much different from everybody else. I love you because you believed. That's not what it is either. It's not a compromise. It's not merit. What it is, is this is accounting language. The word here for counted is the same word that is used in adding up financial figures in the ancient world. And we need to understand this is not funny accounting. Some of you have seen in the news that there's been a a huge scandal in the financial world because the banks in Britain have been monkeying with a foundational financial principle called LIBOR. It's a rate that those banks set and all of the other interest rates are set off of it. And they found out that some of these banks, perish the thought, were lying. They were inflating the figures so they could make more money. We're used to seeing this now, aren't we? We're used to Enron. We're used to banks holding, hiding the ball. But that's not what God is doing here. God is making a right reckoning. He is reckoning righteousness to Abram because of what he has done. God has done. Not Abram. And that's why this is foundational in the New Testament. Turn with me, if you would, very briefly to Galatians chapter 3. Paul iterates this out for us. What did Abram believe in? The very first thing we see in verses 8 and 9 of Galatians 3 is that God justifies the Gentiles by faith, preaching the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Abram believed in the gospel. He believed that God was at work saving people. That God's grace was responsible for righteousness. Abram believed, we see in verse 13 and 14, in redemption from sin. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abram might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Abram believed, he didn't just believe that God was his reward. He didn't just believe that God was his protector. He believed all the promises of God and he believed that God would make him righteous. He believed in the one who was coming. Verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abram and his offspring. It does not say and offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. Abram believed that the Christ was coming. He did not know where he would be born. He did not know 
who his parents would be. He did not know what size shoe he would wear, but he knew that God would send one to make Abram right with God because the only way he could escape sin and misery was by the work of God in his life. Do you believe that today? Or are you trusting in your job or your wits or your wisdom or your guile or your bubbly personality? We can only be right with God by faith, by believing that what God has done to make us righteous, to count us as righteous, is to send His Son to die a death on the cross that we deserve and to live a perfect life that we could not so that we could be counted as righteous. And so as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not just forgiven. We are righteous and holy and perfect in God's sight because He sees Jesus, not us. This is what Abram believed. And it's the same gospel that has come down through the ages. The last thing we need to understand, though, is all we can do is believe. Faith is not just a nice tag-on. It's not a little bit of, what do they say down in New Orleans? Lanyap? Lanyap? It's not just sweet stuff on the side. No, no, no. We are not worthy. Think about the, the giants of faith. Abram sold out his wife. Jacob, a liar and a thief. Moses, a murderer and a fugitive from justice. David, an adulterer and a murderer. Peter, who abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ to his face. Paul, a butcher of the church. None of these men had anything that they could stand on. How could we? All we can do is believe. Because as Paul said in Philippians 3, everything that we have that is good is really bad. You remember that. He goes through the litany. He says, as to the law, perfect. A Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day. All of these things I have. He says, you know what? Those were actually negatives. Because they kept me from God. We cannot boast. All of us are sinners. If we try and boast in ourselves, all we do is harm ourselves. The faith that brings righteousness is personal. It believes in God. But it is also propositional. It believes what God has said. Do you believe what God has said about you? Do you believe what God has said about Himself and about Jesus? We can be right with Him. If you do, then Abram is your father. And that promise is for you. If you will just receive it now, by faith. Let's pray.